You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back of our house. It's Rosie on the house here in the 8 o'clock hour. means it's the outdoor living hour. Joined this Saturday, Mr. Jay Harper of the Farm Farm the Farm's Choice. You got it. I say Farm Fresh, See, the Farmers. At, you can read my shirt. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you've got a question about it'll be better when you tattoo it on your head. Well, that, that, that may be coming. I have to stand up to see over my screen to see the shirt. <laughs> That's true. Ah. <laughs> oh. How many calls are we going to get about something that's dying or dead today? Well, or Should how we... to water, or how much to water, probably be a good call. Uh, uh, hey, I was uh, on the phone with a farmer in Wilcox yesterday. He was in his truck, and he could hardly hear me. It was raining so hard. Oh, nice. So how about that? Maybe that's coming. We Ooh. could talk about monsoon preparedness. Um, certainly watering is, you know, when it's hot and dry, watering is... An issue, how to water. Number one, just make sure your water system is working. And not, I, I saw, I've been getting up early and trying to walk a little bit. I was embarrassed on our trip to Italy how tired I got walking around so much. <laughs> so, um, But I've noticed how many drip systems are wearing out or have holes in them at 5 in the morning when you're walking in the neighborhood seeing geysers all over the place. My neighbor next door had one the other day. Luckily, it came on while we were, a couple of us were standing there, and we went over and got that fixed for him because he's on vacation. So number one, go turn the thing on on the weekend when you're home because they all run at 5 in the morning before anybody's out and about. You have no idea if it's leaking, if it's shooting water into your neighbor's yard out in the street, or if it's even putting water on anything. So that would be the first step. Find your controller, if you can remember where that thing is, and turn the thing on. If you don't know how to use your controller, call somebody and have them come spend 50 or 100 bucks and have somebody show you how to do it. You'd be surprised how many people don't even know how to run their own irrigation controller, which means you can't adjust it or turn it off if it rains or make any kind of adjustments. That would be the number two thing is make sure you know how to, how to adjust it. So is it working? Is it putting water where it should be and not putting where water where it shouldn't? And then is it set up correctly? Right now, you know, with 105-plus degree days and very little humidity, even your desert or low-water-use plants probably need a very good throw drink about once a week. And when I mean a good throw drink with the drip system is somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 to 10 hours running it that long. So think hours, not minutes, and water slow and deep. As we get monsoon moisture and that kicks in, we can probably stretch that out. And we generally try and adjust frequency, not duration. So let it run five or ten hours, but then go to ten days or two weeks. Then as it cools off this winter, you can go to maybe a month or not at all. On lawns, you're going to be watering your lawns every other day for 15 to 25 minutes, probably depending on how they deliver water, if you want a nice, healthy green Bermuda grass lawn. Um, Fertilization, probably should have already fed your shade trees, your citrus trees, but if you haven't, it's never too late through the summer months. This is when things are growing. This is when they need nutrients. 
contrary to popular belief, is it's too hot to fertilize. No, that's when most things need to be fertilized here. It's when they're growing that fertilize, fertilization is necessary and benefits the plant. In the wintertime, it doesn't. So Just make sure things overdo it. Absolutely. Follow directions. Make sure you do it appropriately. Make sure the plant has been well watered before you do it, and then water it in. Lawns need to be fed every four to six to eight weeks, something like that, depending on what you're using. If you use a good slow-release organic-type fertilizer, they'll go longer. If you use something fast-release synthetic, they'll, it won't last as long. So just plan accordingly. Something I've noticed, I have a hunter timer for my irrigation control. Okay. And it was on the house when we moved in, so I, I have sure. no idea how old it is. And it's, it needs to be replaced. I've replaced the modules. Yeah. Um, and stations, it, it's a 12 station, station 7 through 12. The module lasts like three days, and then it zapped. And now uh, the first six control the lawn irrigation. And I went to adjust the timers, and I noticed it's only working on two stations. I mean, it's a computer. It's out in the sun. It's In the heat. It's Heat's, fried. Heat does them in. Yeah. So to water my trees, I have to go open the box and turn the valve on. Okay. And I just lay, leave it on until I get home. So where it used to run for six hours, it may run for you know, if three, I'm three days. Because <laughs> you, you forget. Know, I did do that once. <laughs> I forgot to turn it off when we left for the last rodeo and the mulberries got water for three days. But what I've noticed about that, and on all day when I come home and I turn it off, the pecans, and then I turn the apples on, how much more growth I'm getting this year over any previous year. I get home, I'm like, that's new. That, that sprouts shoots from this morning, <laughs> getting water all day. Well, the and the citrus is, you can tell when it gets water, it's, it's this whole new color of green. And that's a great point. You can't overwater by letting it run 24, 48, you know, several days. You can overwater it if you did that again in a few days and again in a few days. Oh, I'll wait but, a week and a half. But you can go a couple of weeks, again. even yeah. in the dead heat of summer. You basically like flood irrigation every two weeks when you put that much water on. So, great example of water it for a long time and then go a long time in between your next watering. Now, I wouldn't suggest that to anyone on city water unless you're ready for that. Now, we've got a well, so all we're paying for is the electric pump to. Bring well, it out of the ground, which are, if you go I'm long enough between, break though, you're still not going to use any more water. You're just putting it on differently. And I'm just saying the cost of water. No, but if you if you water, if you figured the gallons. Oh, gotcha. I gotcha. Then instead of doing it in two or three days, it's maybe yes. 10 or 14 days before you do it again. So uh, you, we find that people overwater in the wintertime is when people could probably save the most water because, again— they don't even know where their controller is or how to control it. So the plants are surviving all summer. Well, we're watering the same way come wintertime when we could, in a lot of cases, not be watering at all in the wintertime. So it's pretty hard to overwater in the summer, as you found <laughs> out. <laughs> well, we've got callers online at one 4348 That's one 888 you Text questions to 411923, or you can email a picture to info at rosyonthehouse.com if you want a little help with plant or insect identification. I will say I need to get this fixed before I put my uh, fertilizer injector, liquid yeah, injector. Yeah, now that could cost you <laughs> some would... money if you forget and leave that on. Yeah. 
I, I want to go from a, a granular application to one of those well, tanks that you tap when into you the water line. And do that, we've got a great liquid siphons. product now that we can have you try in that system. Yeah. You bet. Liquid inject fertilizer. That's that's on my to-do. Chris, welcome to the program. How may we help you, sir? Uh, good morning. Uh, I live in Queen Creek. Uh, my grass is in on the north side of my ba- backyard. I've only lived in this house for four years, but every year during the summer, I, I kill the winter grass off at the correct time, but I end up with spurge, and it's like take takes over the backyard. Is there a way that I can kill it without killing every bird in the neighborhood and still have winter grass? Well, what you can do starting while your winter grass is still growing back in March or April is apply a pre-emergent herbicide, particularly something with a with an ingredient called dimension. And that can be put on as a granule and then watered in. And pre-emergents have to get watered down into the soil. And what they do is then <clears throat> when the seeds start sprouting for that spurge as it gets hot about June or early July, that pre-emergent acts as a barrier to, to keep that, those young sprouts from them being able to grow and break through, the sur- break through that layer. That is probably the most effective way to control spurge. Uh, Can you say the name of that uh, product again? If you're you're probably too young to remember, but there was a there was a singing or a rock and roll group in the '70s called the Fifth Dimension. <laughs> so dimension, dimension, okay. like you're like three dimensional dimension. Okay. I just dropped in. Right? (laughs) Rosie's singing Fifth Dimension songs over here. Actually, I think uh, that was Kenny Rogers. That's Kenny Rogers in the first edition. edition, I was trying to, I knew it was Kenny Rogers. Fifth Dimension was up, up, and away in my beautiful balloon or something like that. I can't sing that one. (laughs) And that product dimension, I mean, that's the ingredient, but that's not the manufacturer. That is the trademarked name of that actual product so if you go and find high yield brand would have a pre-emergent with dimension in it as bonide probably would as as other companies probably would yes just look for the and the active ingredient there'd be a little trademarked signia and then the name dimension and we love local we love independence uh i, I think a and p has one it's in queen pretty Creek, close a and p is pretty close yeah desert horizon or a and p either one are in that area we appreciate the uh call good luck with that before we get to uh our next question with a comment on termites and the grapefruit tree see how we can get that solved we i was at a home this week that had a patch of crabgrass that mm-hmm. they were trying to get rid of and they had ripped it out. They'd bought new patch sod. They were trying to put it in. Then it still came up through that, and then they treated the whole thing with Roundup, and now they got this big dead spot. Mm. What is is crabgrass something you can treat with a pre-emergent too? Or is sure, that... yeah, you certainly can. the The trick in all of that is the timing. If you're going to have a a winter lawn, you know you want to make sure you do that while the winter lawn is still growing. So in the late spring. Because if you do it too late, it will keep your winter lawn from germinating as well. So probably so, uh, an application for things that are 
like summer growers like spurge, like crabgrass, is to apply that pre-emergent before they sprout, so sometime in late spring or very early summer. There's the fifth dimension. There is some old great music, but some old music should be this and not Bar- remembered. This and, this and Barry Manilow should just be put, <laughs> just be put not a on Mandy a shelf. Fan? <laughs> just put it in a locker. Oh, oh, we just lost Sharona. Uh, oh. We'll try and get her back on My here Sharona? in a moment. Or your Sharona? My Sharona? Your Sharona. Yeah. <laughs> she had a question about termites that were invading her. A grapefruit tree and how to handle that. And really, that's just a call to uh, a termite company. They can treat. Uh, those aren't generally. I have seen products at yeah, there's stores some, there's that some termite treatment. There's but, some, some stuff available at the nursery or garden center. But you might want to have your house inspected if you've got. And they there's different kinds of termites, and it's probably nothing to worry about. And they'll... You know, they'll come up out of the ground up on a tree trunk. And and termites don't feed on any live growing part of the plant. If you've got like an old palm tree with a lot of old dead tissue, you know, that's that's what they're after. And yeah. citrus are known to have a lot of dead lot wood of dead inside wood. if you're not cleaning. Yeah. So. Well, we, uh, we'll try and get you back on the line or at least get you a referral for an extermination company. Every single line is loaded before we get to our calls. A lot of lawn questions. That that conversation we started on lawn sparked a yeah, lot this of questions. Is that but transition, ugly time for lawn. So. <laughs> We're going to bring in Chelsea McGuire from the Arizona Farm Bureau real quick. I read an article from, uh, I think it was American Horticultural, one of my one newsletter I get. And it was talking about a farm. the farm bill had passed through. The house, and I emailed it to Julie and said, is this anything we need to talk about on Saturday? And by that time, it's now also gone through the Senate. Uh, So we brought Chelsea McGuire in from the Farm Bureau to talk about the status of this and what it means to anybody that likes to have uh, mashed potatoes with their steak. To make sure they have (laughs) safe food at the grocery store on their table whenever they want it. Yeah, I, I put the greens on it. I rarely eat it because it, it looks weird to just have the steak and potato. So I got to put the green beans on with it. But, you know, that usually ends up in the compost. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So how do you get your kids to eat those if you don't eat them? Uh. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Lots of ketchup. Chelsea, good morning. Right. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for having me on. So what, what should the consumer, uh, food eater, connoisseur know about this farm bill? farm bill and is there anything we can do at this point yeah so the consumer should know and should be really encouraged by the fact that a farm bill is passed because like you guys said all of us like to know that we can go to the grocery store there's going to be food there we're going to be able to afford it and it's going to be safe for us to consume and that's really what the farm bill is all about is ensuring that those things continue to be true from here and into the future so as you mentioned the farm bill has passed um, both the house and the senate And we're really encouraged by that because both versions came out 
very favorable to agricultural production. It maintains those protections that are in the Farm Bill that help protect against just the risks of farming, the risks of growing our food, because we can't control all of the elements that go into that, like weather or disease, foreign subsidies, um, world economic markets. So Jay much was of talking that is out of about control. the farmer you were talking to in Wilcox, and that's Sulphur Spring Valley. I, I've got a buddy out there that farms, and his well hasn't dried up, but he said, you know, we don't have any tributaries. What rainfall is where a lot of our groundwater tables come from? And he had neighboring farms that, you know, the wells were dry, and it's just, that's it. till the water yeah. table returns, they're, that production has stopped. So like you said, there's plenty of risk out there. Right. You know, if, if we could control the weather, we probably wouldn't need as extensive a farm bill as we have. But unfortunately, that's not something we can control. And so what this bill does is really help farmers hedge that risk of farming to make sure that they can still produce what we need to make sure our families are safe and fed. So as far as what consumers can do now, the fact that the bill has passed both houses is good. But the bill was very different coming out of the House than it was out of the Senate. So what's going to happen now is something called a conference committee. And the leadership from the agriculture committees of both chambers, the House and the Senate, will get together, take the two versions of the bill, figure out how to reconcile them. Let's make one cohesive bill. Then that reconciled bill will go back to the chambers to vote on as a committee report. And then eventually we'll go to the president's desk. So what we want to make sure at Arizona Farm Bureau is that when that conference committee meets and when those leaders are meeting, they don't do anything in that bill that's going to damage the protections that the Farm Bill offers. So specifically, we're looking to make sure that they don't cut the crop insurance program because insurance is one of the best ways and most market-driven ways to hedge the risk of farming. And we want to make sure that they don't do any damage to the commodity programs that help our farmers plan for the future and make sure that there's a safety net below which their market's not going to fall. And as we wrap up here, going to the bottom of our news in the next 30 seconds, what direct action, aside from planting our own gardens for the fall, (laughs) can can I take? So direct actions you can take, contact your representatives this week going into the 4th of July recess and into the future and say, we want safe, affordable American food. So please support the Farm Bill and make sure that we're not sacrificing the Farm Bill on other political altars. That's Chelsea McGuire, the political coordinator for the Arizona Farm Bureau for both Arizona legislation and uh, D.C. legislation. Thank you for your time this Saturday morning. AZFB.org. Making laws and making sausage. Michael's in Phoenix. Adriana's on the line. Larry in Tucson. But we're going to start again with, try this again, Sharona wanting to talk about termites infesting her grapefruit. Good morning, ma'am. Good morning. Thank you so much for getting me back on. I turned the radio down when it hung up, and I didn't hear any answers, so I appreciate this. Um, It's not so much about the chemicals as I did have it on the house two years ago and had it treated all around the perimeter. And now it is on a very old grapefruit tree. The tubes are back there. So I don't know whether to be concerned about the house again. And I've read about borax or corrugated cardboard to try and trap those. I don't think the grapefruit tree is going to last much longer. I'm trying 
but I didn't know if I need to be concerned about it back at the house. How far are we talking in distance from the grapefruit to the house? Um, probably the grapefruit is probably you know, 20 feet away from the house. Mm. Well, I would definitely say if you cut that tree down, they're going to go find a new home, and your house is a likely target. <laughs> yeah, I. the key is she mentioned she had the house treated a couple years ago. Sharona, I yes. would get in touch with the company that treated it and get their opinion because it's their warranty that protects your house. Get their opinion. Okay, their opinion on it. Do I try and do anything to brush them off, treat the ground, treat you, the you Just ask, ask them when they get out there. Just they'll okay. come. They'll come out and inspect. I imagine for free. Call them. Okay. Tell them you've got a concern you want them to look at, and then bleed them for all the information you can get while they're there. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your show for many years. So thank you for your help. Thank you. You bet. Our pleasure. Thank you. And that is a quick myth on termites. Don't knock the tunnels down because it gives the exterminator a perfect target. Leave the tunnels there. <laughs> Let them treat it, then knock the tunnels down once they stop growing, and you know the colony's been eliminated. If you disturb their path, um, you know they're just going to go find and, and make like, a new. Kind of like gophers. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't kill them, you know all you do is move them. You they, know it, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so leave, leave them there and let the exterminator yeah. do his job, then take them down. It takes. I, I've never seen a house fall down from termites. I've seen a patio fall down. A patio? Mm-hmm. That took that took years, I'm yes, sure. it did. Yes, it did. So, yes, it did. A, a couple weeks till the exterminator can get there isn't going to be a big deal. Let's see. Who's been holding the longest? Michael, welcome to the program. How may we help you, sir? Yeah, so I'm having trouble with my front lawn. Um, it's south-facing, and I'm trying to figure out how much I should water and how often um, my gallons per minute are 10 and my water pressure is 42 PSI, I believe. So you have a, you have a pop-up sprinkler system in the lawn? That's correct. Just the fan uh, spray, not the, not the gear driven type. Oh, that's fine. So what, what I would do is either get tuna cans or sprink rain gauges, however you want to measure some water. And I want you to put those in particularly the spots that are bad, but I'd put some in some good spots too. And depending on how big your lawn is, you can do it, do one zone and move them or just get a bunch of them, put them out there and run your system, you know, pick a number, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, pick an even number. So it's easy to do the math. You need to, in the worst place, you need to be putting about at a minimum, two inches of water every seven days on that lawn to have anywhere a semblance of a decent lawn. Three to four inches is more like what you're going to have a really nice, like a golf course-looking lawn. So that's the best way to take and do the math. You just gave me the numbers. But the best way is to actually physically measure the amount of water that's going on that lawn. And particularly, you've got to do it by the least common denominator, the worst, brownest, driest-looking spot. Now, if that spot just isn't getting any water, then you've got a coverage problem, and you need to change sprinkler heads or add a head or do something like that. Okay, so if I, let's just say, 
minutes in a particular zone gives me three inches of water, I should only do that 10 minutes once every seven days? Correct. Okay. So I don't need to be watering every day, twice a day, or every other day, twice a day kind of thing. The only time sometimes we have to do that is if your lawn is sloped. Or you have you know you have big grade changes and water is running off or running over the sidewalk. You know we don't want to be running water and having it running off the lawn. But if you have a reasonably flat lawn, then no. One you know if you can put three inches of water on in one watering, and I would probably guess it can take you a lot longer than ten minutes. But if you can do it that way, then yes, because we flood irrigate you know, a lot of lawns in certain neighborhoods, and they go two weeks in between waterings, but you're putting maybe a foot, 10, 12 inches of water on at that time. So that that gives you a couple of weeks' worth of water, but it's all going on at one time. Now, I hate correcting people on air, Jay, but there is another time where you've got to water three or four times a day. And... It's when you don't have a pool and you need to get your kids outside. And oh, well, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Running through the sprinkler. Yep. You just got to move that. that slip and slide. Or yourself, even. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just go out there and put the lawn chair out in the middle of it and sit there with a cool drink. <laughs> you got to move that slip and slide. You leave it there, you start getting ruts in your lawn and or a big it starts mutting up, yeah. muddy up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good luck, Michael. Uh, staying on lawns real quick, we're going to bring in Adriana. Welcome to the program. How may we help you? Did you say Adriana? Yes, ma'am. Oh, hi. I'm so excited to talk to y'all. We're excited to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) I have a question about my lawn. I'm a first-time home buyer. We bought kind of like a fixer-upper, and it's all dirt. And it's hot, and I've been watering it, and I've just been watering weeds. (laughs) <laughs> and not even weeds are growing in the backyard. It's that dead. So I don't know what to do because I got chickens and my three girls, you know, they need a lawn. Okay. Well, the the fastest way to get a lawn is to actually lay out some sod. It's already grown grass. It's cut in strips. It's not and... too hot? No, 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 no. No, we this is this is a great time to plant the warm weather type lawns, some type of hybrid Bermuda grass. We need it to be hot. That's when it's growing. Absolutely. Now I feel stupid. I didn't know it was that that, easy. That's okay. It's kind of that. Where do you live? On 42nd and Dunlap. 42nd Avenue and Dunlap. Avenue. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Summer Winds Nursery is Bell and 51st Avenue. Ish. Okay. Head over there, take some dimensions. Um, they can walk you through the process. It's really not that hard. You want to probably do a little preparation, maybe add a little organic material uh, to the to the ground, till it in a little bit. Do you have a sprinkler system? I do, and yeah. I have a tiller. Well, be careful with the tiller with the sprinkler system. <laughs> okay, I know. I don't want to go. You don't need to. Now. You don't need to walk. You don't need to work it in as deep as you would like a vegetable or flower garden. It's just a couple inches. So, I, I would okay. probably recommend just doing it by hand if you've got sprinkler heads, or at least mark the sprinkler heads so you don't run them over. Get, okay. Get some organic material and and rake it level, and get the rocks and clods, and make sure it's nice and smooth. 
and then you can order the sod. They'll deliver it right to your house and you lay it out. Just it's pretty easy. It's it's heavy. It's you know it's but it's not a hard thing to do. You just need to know your square footage so you order the appropriate amount. Is it too hot for seed? No, no. Seed has to be watered a whole lot more. And of course, you mentioned dogs and kids. You'd have to keep them off of it for quite a while until the seed, you know, germinated and got established where sodding. Because I could put sod in the backyard and seed in the front then. There you go. There's nothing, no yeah. one in the front yard. Perfect. Where you don't have any traffic on the front yard, you know, then, then okay. do that. The other, I guess the other option is if we want to be responsible, responsible in your front yard if nobody's using it or there's no traffic on it then maybe we mm-hmm. ought to consider not doing grass and doing something else like gravel or granite or artificial turf or something like that That's, i know but grass is so pretty okay just just saying i don't mind the water bill i just want to see greenery everybody else has gravel and i need color well, you can get color okay. without having grass, but that's a, that's another <laughs> subject. I'm not going to make any yeah. moral judgments, so <laughs> whatever you need to do. I've had grass in my front yard for 30 years, and I'm finally taking it out in the front. But that's because I have no more kids. There's no kids in the neighborhood. Nobody's using the front yard. So Now you're putting artificial turf in, so you'll still have that I am, green cause look. I am, because I like the look, just like she does. I want the look of greenery and... So it's a small front yard. We're in a cul-de-sac, kind of in the corner of the. So it's a very small yard. So it it'll be a nice look. We appreciate the call. Good luck. Let's see next online, Larry in Tucson. Good morning and welcome to the program, sir. Hi, how are you? It's uh, great to listen to your program. And um, I've got uh, my primary reason for calling was that I, I in Tucson. And I redid uh, the whole property with um, three-quarter-inch crushed gravel. And um, I got a, a lot of extra gravel because I, my, I've been in Tucson for 18 years. I've, been, um, I've gone through where all, the gravel disappears into the dirt and then gets, um, and you can't match it if you go back five or six years later to buy more. So I bought a lot of extra gravel. And one part of the house where I've got um, uh, it kind of piled up a little bit is that it's actually above the slab and is uh, onto the stucco. And I was got to thinking that maybe I ought to be concerned with the rain and potential water damage um, if I would have a drainage problem there. And I, just wondering how concerned I ought to be about that. Larry, I'd be curious if you could shoot us a picture, text us a picture of that. We need to know a masonry home or a frame home. Have you covered up the weep screed that's supposed to be there, the vintage of the home? And if you could just smartphone snap a couple shots and um, send it to info, info. at rosieonthehouse.com, we'd take a look at it and we'd let you know. Because you don't want that above the elevation of your finished floor, for sure. No. And the I, even on gravel and finished landscape, I, it's two or three inches to code below, uh, below. the weep screen, mm-hmm. which is two or three inches below the finished floor. So you're six inches below 
finished floor at a minimum. Eight's better. So send us a picture. We'll probably need to pull a little bit of that off. We have Steve Ryan online and a handful of text questions. Let's cut out just a few seconds early, save a little more time on the backside for your questions at Rosie on the house. You're on a George straight kick again. You about every three months you get on this straight, straight kick. <laughs> this morning I woke up to there's a difference between living and living well. Are you scared straight? Yeah. Well, get stars on the water. Something a little more oh, peppier than, than than give it away. Give me stars on the water for an exit. Okay. Or right. with this kind of weather, they call me the fireman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, let's see, on the line longest, Steve in Santan Valley. Welcome to the program, sir. How may we help you? Hey, gentlemen. I have uh, most of my plants in pots, uh, cacti, succulents, things like that. And I'm listening to your watering cycles, and currently I have them on a couple of different tracks. Uh, you know, one set is on uh, every four days, the other every uh, eight days, depending on the type of cacti it is, for about 15 minutes each. And I'm hearing watering cycles much higher than what I would have thought, you know, in an hour or whatever. But, um, you know, they're, they're like three or four-gallon sizes of pots. So what's your opinion about the amount of time and frequency I need for this? Well, cactus and succulents a whole other issue uh, compared to what we've been talking about. I, You know, I've got a few cactus and succulents in pots. I hand water my pots. They're not on an irrigation system. Even in the hottest weather, I kind of water them when I remember, you know, <laughs> it, it, um, no, no more than once a week for most of those, um, once every couple of weeks, just a good, good drink. Yeah. You're, you're way probably over watering those if you're watering them a couple of times a week with three for 30 minutes with a dripper, I would guess. So back way off on those for sure. We appreciate the call, unless it's something really exotic or tropical. Well, succulents yeah. a big category, and it, there's some succulents that actually just will, don't do well here at all because they don't like the heat, believe it or not. People see these things in magazines, and they see succulents, and they think, oh, they're drought tolerant. Well, they are drought tolerant, but they're drought tolerant if they're on the beach in San Diego, <laughs> you know, and it's 75 degrees and overcast half the day. And they never need any water. Um, in Phoenix, Arizona, a lot of those succulents will only grow in the shade. They still don't want much water, but you can't put them out in full sun either. So uh, cacti, on the other hand, um, just don't need hardly any water. And they do very well in pots. And they're a great item to put in a pot that's in a bad spot or you don't ha- you have it, a hard time getting water to it. You know, once every week or two in the summer is probably fine. There's a book called Getting Potted in the Desert, and this woman, Marilyn, she used to live in Tucson. She has since moved to Hawaii, as I understand. But She got tired of the desert. <laughs> <laughs> she got tired of doing her succulents in her, her pots. She, she wrote, and a lot of people that uh, have read it, it, it's a very well-written book mm-hmm. for anybody that wants to do pot of gardening in the desert for all types of varieties plants succulents trees. Cool. So, 
that might be something worth uh, grabbing and browsing through and keeping on your bookshelf for for a reference. Let's see. Ryan's next on the line at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Welcome to the uh, from Surprise, Arizona. Yes, sir. How you guys doing this morning? Very good, thank you. Good. Um, I have a sister tree that I had to cut down, and it has been a nightmare ever since, just with the, the roots offshooting, and I don't know what to do about it. I want them out of my yard. <laughs> the plight of cutting a sisu down. They're great till you cut them down, and then they don't want to ever stop. So uh, there's a number of different concoctions I've heard of. One of the best is just to take, just to make a fresh cut wherever you got sprouts coming up, take Full-strength, undiluted commercial glyphosate, Roundup, like the 41% strength stuff. Do not dilute it and apply it to the freshly cut stump or stem, whatever's left of whatever you're cutting up. And keep doing that. Every time you cut, put that on it. Cut, put that on it while it's fresh and green and absorbent. Um, And eventually, you'll get them, but it, it may take some work. If you're going to cut a sisu down, you want to do that right away on the main trunk, uh, and that generally will stop them. It might even be worth getting in touch with John Eisenhower, one of our tree guys. They have, I think, a combination of things that they put on those that uh, I think has been pretty effective. But they they have some defense mechanism. When you try and cut one down, they don't want to die. They're, they come back like crazy all over the place. So. And if you go to John's website, itreeservice.com, he has article on there, there specifically on managing SISU. It, I've been to Arizona Community Tree Council banquets and uh, their annual conference and overheard guys talking about not even taking SISU work because they can't guarantee it. They right. can't. Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing but Just don't cut backs. them down. Don't cut it down. Let it <laughs> Don't cut it down. Leave it alone. They they pass that job down the down the road. It's so like you said, just don't cut it down yeah. or be ready as soon as you do to hit that. Right. Now what would be a good alternative? I I understand why they became so popular so fast. Um fast growing, get big, lots of shade, don't need much water, don't have a lot of problems with them. Um except when you go to cut it down. Uh live oak, great tree. Chinese pistache, the red push pistache. Those, I'm really liking those. I've yeah. got three on the west side of our yeah. arena. They're slower They're, growing. Uh, evergreen elm, the Chinese elm. I lo- that's a great tree. Hard to beat. Mr. Harper, we appreciate your time this Saturday well, morning. Glad to be back. Good luck with the uh, artificial grass install. We'll have to get some <laughs> pictures when pictures. you're all done. You got it. There's my stars on the water. Thank you, Gary.